morning. How's everybody? Good. Good to see you here on campus. Good to see you guys online joining us. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but we installed little cameras in everyone's computer, and we're actually watching you. So just be careful. Just be careful. That's all i got to say. Um, and in case you were kind of groggy still waking up, you heard David Couch say today is the last day to vote. Uh, that is for trustees. Just want to make that very clear. All right? <laughs> what? We're doing that again? Nope. No, we're not. We're not even. Not even. All right. Uh, we've been going through this sermon series called Not Ashamed. Uh, today we're looking at the second half of Romans chapter 8. We began there last week, the first part. Uh, we've been going through the first seven chapters of Romans, which you will recognize that Paul is really driving home the issue that we're sinners. Makes that very clear. And the struggle of sin, and even though we've been accepted by Christ, we've accepted Jesus as our leader and forgiver of our life, we still wrestle with that old sin nature. That though it's dead, it's like it's a chain corpse to us. And sometimes we give it CPR and we revive it. And so how do we break free from that? And then we get to Romans 8. So I always encourage people reading through Romans, get to chapter 8 as soon as you can, right? Get, get there because this is where that first verse, there's there for now no condemnation. All this sin is real. All you guys are sinners, but here's the good news, that because of Jesus, there's no condemnation because of our sin. So today what Paul's going to say is not only is there no condemnation, now there's the possibility of adoption. Okay, so that's the second half of the good news. There's no condemnation because of our sin, but it doesn't stop there. There's adoption by the king of the universe, by God Almighty, by the creator of all things. And so that's where we pick up here in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, where Paul uses that to illustrate our new relationship to God because of Christ. We are adopted children of God. He'd been talking about what does it mean to live in the Spirit. Last week we looked at living in the Spirit versus living in the flesh. He said, here's how you live in the Spirit, and now he's talking about the benefits of living in the Spirit. But he makes it very clear to us that even though we are people of the Spirit, no longer people of the flesh, we should expect, we should anticipate, we should be ready for pain and suffering. <laughs> it does not exempt us from pain and suffering. You guys probably remember back in the 80s, one of my favorite rappers, probably yours, Rob Bass. Remember Rob Bass? Rob Bass wrote a song called Joy and Pain. Joy and pain, sunshine and rain. Anybody? <clears throat> That's all I remember. <laughs> Keep going. Right? So joy and pain, and he compared it to sunshine and rain. You ever been standing outside and the sun is shining but it's raining on your head? Now, well, this is weird. Why is the sun shining, but there's rain on me? And so Rob Bass, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. He's a rapper. That's for sure. He writes this song to illustrate for us that there is good and evil happening all the time. When one area of our life is going great, most likely there's another part that's maybe crumbling or at least suffering. And so this is where Paul is taking us to. Paul could have written that song, and maybe he did. Maybe Rob stole that. I don't know. But it's that idea of don't be surprised when there is joy and pain in your life at the same time. All right, so look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So Paul's just getting real with us because he recognizes that every one of us at some point in our life has, we have faced rejection. We all know the pain of rejection. We know what it's like to be rejected. Now, that's one of the common experiences when a couple goes through a divorce. Each one feels rejected by the other. If you've ever been in an experience where you needed someone, you were in need, and no one came to your aid, there's that feeling of abandonment. No one was there for me. That's a, that's a form of rejection. We see it among friends when you've done something, maybe to hurt the friendship, and they just forget it. I don't want to be your friend anymore. Or maybe they've heard something about you that's not true, but they believe it, and they don't want to be your friend anymore. It even happens in churches. Church members can reject one another. It should never happen. <laughs> it should never be a part of a church experience, but it is, and it has been. And so we understand that pain of being rejected. So Paul kind of drills down to that. We all have this common experience of rejection. No one likes to be rejected. We all want to be accepted. And so he says, well, that highlights the truth that the God of the universe has adopted you through Jesus Christ. He's made it possible for you and I to be adopted. We were once orphans because of sin, separated from God and his love. But because of Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for our sins, God raised him from the dead. Three days later, you and I can be children of the King. This is good news. This is news worth sharing. This is news worth shouting. We've been heavy on the sin, but now understand that sin has no power over you. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sin anymore. Jesus did that. You don't have to pay the price for it. Jesus did that. So now we live as children of God. And so Paul helps us to understand something. There is no human relationship that can ultimately sustain us and give us security. Every human relationship that we have, as precious as they are, is susceptible to division, susceptible to hurt and pain. Even the best of marriages, that's the truth about a marriage, that nobody can love me like Robin but no one can hurt me deeper than Robin. And the same for me with her. Because the intimacy of that relationship, there's great joy, but there's also great pain. And that's the nature of human relationships. So that doesn't take us to where we want to ultimately go. Only the love of Christ does. And he makes this statement, you were once slaves to sin, but now you are sons and daughters of the king. <laughs> this, uh, well, a couple months ago, Robin and I went to Virginia and we got to tour the home of Thomas Jefferson, Monticello. And it's a great tour, very interesting. I didn't realize all the stuff that Thomas Jefferson had invented, all the things that he had done. Our third president, third president of the United States, a great man. And so we were going around, and they were having a talk on slavery. Thomas Jefferson had slaves, and I was really curious to hear how this lady was going to handle that issue, and especially in the culture today. She did a great job talking about what it was like then and, and how we see all that stuff now. But she shared the experience that Thomas Jefferson had a, a girlfriend, had a mistress who was a slave. Her name was Sally Hemings. And Thomas Jefferson had six children by Sally Hemings. 
And she began to tell the story of that experience, and she let us know that Thomas Jefferson never accepted those six children as his own. They were always slaves in his mind. He viewed them and treated them as slaves, which caused all kind of pain in their lives and all kind of rebellion from them. And I just thought about that and and thinking about my relationship to God, that I once was a slave, but imagine if God still saw me the same way, how terrible that would be. But that's the good news of this adoption, that God sees us as heirs of his kingdom. And Paul says, because of that, you and I get to call God dad. We can run to him because he is the perfect father. And I realize some of you had crappy fathers. Some of you had fathers who were neglectful, who were absent, who were abusive. I realize that. I think every one of us have something in our head that says, if my dad was like this or if my dad was like that, or everything you're describing there of what you would want in a father, yeah, that's him. (laughs) Everything you missed out because your relationship with your father, yeah, he can feel. (laughs) This is the kind of father he is. He is the kind of father that loves. He disciplines us as a loving father would, but it's always out of love. He cares for us. He cared so much he sent his only begotten son to die so that we could become sons and daughters of the king. So Paul drives us to that, which is our hope. He says there is no fear. Listen, once you belong to God, once you've been adopted into his family, there is no fear of rejection from him. He is not going to reject you. He has received you. You bear his name, you will always bear his name. He's never going to abandon you. He says you are heirs of God, heirs of the kingdom of God. All the glories and riches of heaven belong to us. Because once you've been adopted, you have all the legal benefits of a birth child. God has adopted us, and we have all the benefits of his kingdom. And not only heirs of God, but co-heirs with Christ. Everything Christ received, we receive from the Father. Which means ultimately, we have a future. The future is a scary thing. The future is unknown. But the promise here is you and I have a future because of Christ. Because we've been adopted into the family, we have a future. You may have seen this story a a few weeks ago. There was a a father now. He was a single man, and he wanted to adopt five siblings. He wanted to adopt children, and there were five siblings. And so he appealed to the court to let him adopt all five because he didn't want the siblings to be separated. The main reason he didn't want that to happen in these kids' lives is because he grew up in the foster care system, and at an early age, he was separated from his brothers and sisters, and he wanted to make sure these kids never had to experience that. (laughs) What an incredible story. One man adopting five children. That's huge. That's a lot. But because of that, those kids now not only have a father, they have a future. That's what Paul's saying. You have a father, and you have a future because of who your father is. And this is the hope. Right? This is where he's driving us. Because we have a future, the future glory, the future glorification that we will receive at the end of our sanctification gives us the power. It empowers us to endure the todays, the struggles, the suffering, the pandemics, the pain, the confusion, the doubt, the fear. We can endure this as children of God because we know this is not all there is. There is more waiting for us. 
We will receive it one day. We've talked about this. Paul will talk about this in a minute. We have been justified through Jesus Christ when we invite Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of our life. That enters us into a process called sanctification as we are becoming more like Christ. That's the ultimate goal. Eventually, when we're in heaven, we will be glorified, glorified bodies. We receive the end of all that has been in this process. We're not there yet, and that's the struggle, but we will be. Heaven is promised to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And our Father, who is perfect, will not let us down. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has, not, has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So Paul says a lot right here. And he's reminding us that we are in a, in a time of anticipation, of expectation. Everything has not been fulfilled. There's still stuff that we are waiting for. As heirs of God, we have not received the full inheritance yet. You guys remember, uh, if any of you were around in the 70s, the Heinz ketchup commercial? Well, here it is. Here, taste it. Anticipation. Yeah, there's a young Corey Feldman there who grew up to be a fine actor. I don't, I don't know if he did or not, but he grew up, right? So, but every time I hear the word anticipation, I think of that ketchup commercial. It has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to share that with you because it just makes me think of anticipation, right? So Paul says, look, creation is in anticipation. Creation is experiencing decay. Creation is experiencing pain and suffering. Why? Because of our sin. The universe has been impacted because of the sin in the garden. So we relate to creation in that way. We're all groaning, awaiting for the redemption, the full redemption of Jesus Christ. And he says, Christians are anticipating. Christians live in this time of anticipation, waiting to receive the full benefits of our adoption. And we understand this in two ways. First, through revelation, as God says in his word, but also through observation. We see that God is working in the world. We see that he has promised us a future, that he has promised us a future in heaven with him for those who give their lives to Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, he's very honest about this. There will be pain and suffering. We will suffer. Creation 
has failed in its purpose. Christians, we still fall into sin. We still mess up. We're still disobedient. We still struggle with that sin nature. And so we suffer. And he said, you're going to have opposition from the world. Listen, when you and I decide to be the church, when you and I decide to stand up for what is right and what is true and what is just, then don't expect the whole world to get on the bandwagon with us. When you stand for what God says is right, don't expect the world to applaud you. They're going to oppose us when we stand for the truth. We should expect that. We should anticipate that. The world hated Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. We talked about this in Romans chapter 7, the carnal Christian versus the committed Christian. The carnal Christian says, hey, I want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. When I start to get uncomfortable, then I'm, I'm, that's enough. I've gone, I've gone far enough. Just, I'll just wait till heaven. Right? That's the carnal Christian. And Paul talked about that frustration of what I know I should do, I don't do. What I know I shouldn't do, that's what I do. And we just kind of keep spinning out because we've just accepted a complacency in our faith rather than a desire to mature in our faith, which is the committed Christian. That I'm, I'm committed to grow Father, whatever the cost, even if I become uncomfortable, even if it costs me my life, that's a hard concept for us here in America to understand that there are people today that because of their belief in Jesus Christ will be killed, be in prison, families torn apart because of their faith in Jesus Christ all over the world today. It's not happening in our area. I pray that it never does. The persecution is real. The persecuted church is a real thing. But Paul says, look, you share in the trials of Jesus, but we also share in the benefits. We are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus suffered. We should expect to suffer. But suffering leads to benefits. We will have the benefits of the kingdom. We have a hope for a better future. He says the earth is groaning. Paul likes that word groaning. Creation is groaning, waiting the day that there's a new heaven and a new earth. We groan as Christians because we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, yet we still we, we can't completely obey the law. We still sin. That hurts. That's painful. We don't want to. We want to be good kids. We want to be good kids of the king, but we still fall. We, we, we hurt him. We disobey him. And that causes pain in our lives when we can't meet God's standards. That we're not completely rescued from sin yet. We still battle sin. We're in that tension between the already. We're already children of God, but we've not yet received our full inheritance, and there's tension involved in this. And Paul says, don't be surprised by it. You're going to face it. But he says there is hope. Hope is the part of living for Christ. Hope is in our DNA as Christians. Not as the world offers hope, but as God offers hope. We don't hope as the world hopes. Our hope is not a wish. Our hope is secure. Our hope is secure in God. Salvation is the foundation for our hope. We are being saved every day from the point we give our lives to Christ. It will find completion one day when we're in heaven with God or Jesus returns. But until then, we're in that same tension. Paul used the word waiting. We are waiting patiently. <laughs> I, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> right? Patience is hard for all of us. But the word waiting is kind of like craning your neck. You ever been to a parade or a football game or something, you're in the back and you're trying to, you get on your tiptoes, you're trying to see over, you're stretching your neck to see something. This is kind of the image that Paul's painting for us. We're suffering right now. We're in the middle of it right now. We're in the heat of the battle right now. But I'm looking forward to something better. 
I'm looking forward to the completion of my salvation. And this enables me to endure today. Not only endure, but persevere and grow and become stronger and mature. But what about in the in-between time? Look at verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So here's the battle in between. From Jesus' ascension into heaven until he comes again, we live in the in-between times. Paul says, but that is not without hope. The Holy Spirit of God that now lives within you, he helps you in your weaknesses. He is there to convict us of our sin. He is there to encourage us in our faith. He is there to pray on our behalf. Have you ever been in a situation that was so painful, you didn't even know how to pray? You couldn't even express your pain in words? Paul says, the Holy Spirit is praying on your behalf. What you can't express, he can, and he's praying that to the Father. He is praying to the Father on your behalf for you, even when you don't feel like you can. Our human limitations, we have limitations as humans. But Paul reminds us that our limitations does not stop God from doing his will in our lives. Because it's not my power, it's not my willpower, it's the Holy Spirit working within me. I just have to learn to live in the Spirit. I have to learn what it means to trust him. I can trust that the Holy Spirit is there, working on my behalf. I can also trust in God's providence. God is here to provide. God is here to protect. God is here to secure. God is here to love. Look at Romans 8, 28. Probably one of our favorite verses out of this chapter. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Talking to Christians here, I've heard this verse misused more times than not. <laughs> because there's this idea that God is more than my adopted daddy. He's also my sugar daddy. <laughs> that he's going to give me everything that I want. That if I suffer a loss now, it's because God's going to give me something better later. Right? And so we have this experience. But we know that God is working for good. The question is, what is good? Good, according to the Bible, is the final glory to which God has destined us. Do you realize you were created for God's glory, not your own? Our role is to advance the kingdom of God, not your kingdom, not my kingdom. So this is the good that Paul writes about. We know that God is working, and we know that God is good, right? We sing that. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But sometimes it really doesn't look like it. I mean, let's just look at the world today. It's kind of hard to see the goodness of God on the planet today. So what does this mean? We know from Revelation that God is good, the Bible tells us. We know from observation, we've seen God do good things. But is God really good all the time? Do you really believe that God works everything for your good? 
We use that verse, right? Hey, I know you lost your job, but God's got a better job for you. Just hang on. Well, maybe he doesn't. Or maybe you, the job you get is not as good as the job you had. Does that mean God's not good? Well, I, I know that that person broke your heart and, and they broke up with you, but God's got somebody better for your life. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? Well, I know you're hurting now. And I know you're, you're struggling through this issue right now, but God is going to heal you and God is going to make you better. What if they die? What if they don't? What if they get worse? Does that mean God's not good? You probably heard just a little over a week ago, a tragic accident in Fort Worth. Ben and Meg Arbor, Ben's a professor at Southwestern Seminary, and Meg and his wife, they're out together late around midnight, two cars racing down the road. They turn onto the road. The car hits them. One of the car hits them, kills Ben and Meg, and the driver of the race car died too. Where's the good in this? Here's a, a power couple for the faith, advancing the kingdom of God, working hard for the ministry, and now they're gone, leaving four children behind. Where, where's good? <laughs> I hope no one ever said to those kids, well, God is always working for good for those who love him and trust him, and God will bring good in this situation. Now, God can bring good out of every situation. That's the truth. That's what Paul's saying. But not every situation is good. There is pain and suffering. There are unanswered questions. There are things that devastate us. Southwestern is devastated. Wedgwood Baptist is devastated. The community of faith is devastated. It's such a tragic loss. Why these two? It's such an innocent thing. Just pulling out onto a road, and that was it. Now, God can cause a lot of good to come out of that situation, but that situation is not good. Don't say that it is. Evil happens. Evil exists. God always overcomes, but there are bad things on this planet. There are things we don't have the answer for. And when you don't have the answer for it, don't act like you have to. That's not our hope. Our hope is not in the answers. Our hope is not in that nothing bad ever happens to us. You know, Christians still get COVID-19. Christians will die. Ministers will die. Missionaries will die. Where's good in this? That's not good. This worldwide pandemic is not good. But God is bringing good out of it. But we still have to handle the stuff that's not good. How do we define good? See, I think a lot of us, when we suffer, we kind of go to Job, right? We love to read the book of Job because we identify when we're in time of suffering. But I think one of the reasons we like Job is because we like the outcome, <laughs> where Jesus gave him back everything he lost ten times, tenfold. And that's our expectation, right? Well, I'm suffering like Job, but, man, I'm going to get ten times what I lost. Maybe you don't. You might not. That's not the promise. <laughs> that's not where your hope lies. Paul drives us back to the hope lies in the fact that we are children of God. That we can call God Dad. That we can run to Him when we've blown it. We can go to Him when we're scared. He accepts us even when we sin. He never kicks us out of the family. 
He never abandons us. This is our hope. And he has provided something better for us. Paul says, look, I don't care how deep your suffering is. I don't care how weighty the suffering and the pain you're going through. It doesn't even compare to what you're going to receive in heaven one day. And he uses the pain of childbirth to explain this issue to us. Now, we get it. Men, we don't get it. But women get it, right? And men, don't try to act like you get it because you're going to get knocked in the head, right? This is, there's a reason why men don't have children. We couldn't handle the pain. It's painful. But when that child is born, the joy of seeing that child, the expression, the love, it trumps all the pain. Nobody talks about that pain right then in the moment when you look at that newborn baby. The mom will say that pain was worth it because this baby brings joy and love. And you don't hear about the pain again until the child does something when they're older and they mess up and the mom says, I cared you for nine months. I brought you in this world and I can take you right out, right? But when you see that baby, joy fills the room. This is what Paul's saying. Look, you're in the pains of childbirth right now. And it's going to last. And they're going to be there. But joy comes in the morning. There will be a time where all we know is joy and peace and love. When the things of this earth pass away and we receive all that is new from God. That's what we wait for. That's our anticipation. Romans 8, 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. A lot of people start talking about predestination here. This is one of those verses where we kind of go to and battle the election, predestination. But, the, but hear what he says. Those who are children of God, we have been predestined to be born in the image of God, in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are to become like Christ. This is his plan for us. I believe Jesus died for the whole world, and the whole world can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But let's not skip what Paul is saying. Once we are children of God, this is our goal. This is where we are growing towards. This should, should be our end that we are measuring our life by. Am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Now, you have to understand what that means, right? Who Jesus was. Becoming more like Jesus might mean going through hell and high water. Look at Jesus' life. He was homeless. He was poor. He was abandoned by those closest to him. He was tortured, and he was killed. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he didn't say take up your jewelry. He didn't say take up your wall art. <laughs> he said take up the instrument of torture and death. You have to be willing to die to self, to die to sin in order to follow Jesus. We're called, we're justified, we're glorified. He doesn't say they're always protected. He doesn't say you'll always be healthy. He doesn't say you'll be wealthy. He doesn't say you'll be prosperous. But there are many in our world today that say that is the sign of truly being born again, but that is not in the Bible. Jesus is our standard. 
Jesus is the image. Jesus' death is proof that God is for us all. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus' death is proof that God is for us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but the truth is he is. Jesus' resurrection is proof that nothing can separate us from God's love. All things, everything works for good, God's good, and we get to be invited to be a part of it, and nothing can separate us. But can I just be honest for a minute? Sometimes it feels like that's reversed, that nothing in this world is working for good, and everything is separating me from God and his love. Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) Yeah, I see this verse, but man, it really feels like the opposite is happening in my life. Because again, our hope is not in circumstances. Suffering can make us feel like God is against us. What in the world have I done that would cause God to do this in my life? You ever ask that question? Well, I know I have. What in the world? (laughs) I don't always like what God does. I don't always agree with what God does. But I'm reminded that doesn't really matter. (laughs) His ways are greater. His ways are higher. But one thing I can hold on to, God is always for me. And nothing can take me out of his love. Nothing can change my name once I'm his. Our adoption is permanent. (laughs) Nothing No one, not even ourselves, can reverse that truth. Once you're you're his, you're his for eternity. So the challenge I have for us today is that I want to ask you to text five people, maybe today, sometime this week, and just to remind them that God is for them. God is for him. He's for his goodness. He's for his kingdom. I get it, yes. But he's also for those who believe and trust in him. And I realize that as I, as I preach this message today, there are people in here that are suffering and experiencing great, deep pain. And I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. But if you're not in that moment, if you're not in that space right now, I bet you know someone who is, that just needs to be reminded that If God is for us, and he is, then nothing can be against us, and nothing can separate us. Not even when we blow it, not even when we crater, not even when we get angry with him, not even when we scream at him, not even when we doubt him. He made the adoption possible, and he is that perfect father we all long for, and he keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, Dad, thank you that you allow us to call you that. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of relationship. It's a term of closeness. And Father, some of us need to be able to see you today 
as a loving father who has provided a means for adoption through sacrificing your own son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have life. And I pray that if there's anyone in here online or will watch this later this week as a recording that has never invited Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their life, that they would do that when they hear this message, that they would do that today. Father, for those of us who already belong to you, who are heirs of your kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, help us not to be startled by pain and suffering. Help us to accept it as a reality, but to be empowered through it, to even rejoice in it, because we know this is not our future. Our future is hope. Our future is life and peace and joy in a place where Revelation says there is no more crying. There is no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more pandemics. There's no more job loss. There's no more divorce. There's no more abandonment. There's no more death. Father, we crane our necks looking forward to that day. But in the meantime, we will represent you well. We will tell a lost world that can be found. We will tell hopeless friends that there is hope. We will be the light of the world. We will be the church on our block. We will proclaim the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. To him be praise.